this next guest just put me in awe with all the things that she's doing and the impact she's making on the world, especially for women saved from sex trafficking and women who are in poverty, helping them to take care of their children and build houses and put their children into colleges. It's just amazing. And you're going to love the story of the purple dress. You have got to watch this all the way to the end. I promise it's good. Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Welcome, Giant Builders. I'm so happy to have you here today. I hope you have a wonderful day. And we are talking with Wendy Bird today. Hi, Wendy. How are you? I am great, Lois. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So can you please tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, it's it's a lot, but I do it is. <laughs> I do microenterprise training for women rescued from sex trafficking and disadvantaged situations. And we currently work in six developing countries. We're in the Philippines, India, Cambodia, Peru, Dominican Republic, and Kenya. And to date, we've trained almost 600 women. And um, we've shipped, I think it's 220,000 um, tons of clothing, food, educational supplies, medical supplies into 42 provinces. So it's it's been quite the undertaking for a nonprofit. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. And what brought you into this particular area? That is my number one question. And I started this in 2002 and um, I really need to figure out how to condense two decades into like five sentences <laughs> because it's, it's, I, I'm a stay, I was a stay at home mom back then and I have five kids and back then they were four to 12. Now they're 24 to 33 and for probably a decade straight. I had been, you know, pregnant for 45 months, nursing for 60 months, toilet training for, you know, the whole decade. And honestly, I just had lost my identity. And in in kind of like lamenting, like, is this really all there is, is just toddler babble and not to knock motherhood because mm -hmm. motherhood has been my greatest joy and I'm very close with my kids. But I just didn't even know who I was anymore. All I knew how to do was talk about the latest diaper brands, you know? And so my husband just said, well, you're a certified gemologist. Why don't you make some jewelry and go sell it at a Saturday's market? And I was like, that's a great idea. And so back then, if you're familiar with AOL dial-up internet days, um, we didn't carry technology in our pocket. And I made up a bunch of email addresses, um, pearls for sale at Hotmail, pearl jewelry at Edzamel, just anything around pearls, because I did love pearls and I wanted to focus on a specific gemstone. And pearls was it. I love how they compare to humanity because there's an irritant that embeds itself in an oyster and the oyster can't get rid of it. It, it can't spew it out. It can't say, I no longer want to associate with you. It, it just has this irritant just constantly grinding within it. And all it can do is secrete a soothing nacre and coat this irritant, which then of course becomes a lustrous gem. And that's so much like we all are, whether it's a family member, a neighbor, a friend, like it doesn't matter. Um, we all have a lot of irritants in life. And if we treat them with 
gentleness and kindness and soothing nature, <laughs> um, we can transform that relationship. And so I was in love with pearls. And so I sent out these emails. I got a bunch of factory responses over the course of several weeks, but I also got a response from a human being. Um, her name was Lanny. And in the body of her email, she just said, if you were to import finished pieces of jewelry from me, rather than loose pearls, you would change women's lives in my country. And I just remember going to bed that night thinking, I'm not trying to change other people's lives. And, you know, what does she mean change people's lives in my country? Like, what's wrong with her country? Like, where's the Philippines anyway? You know, I didn't have a passport. I hadn't traveled internationally. And so, um, but I couldn't get that sentence out of my head. And so I just replied back and said, well, you know, I'm here in America, you're in Philippines. So how would that work? And she just replied with three pages of um, poverty, of dirt floors, of children begging, children starving, kids not allowed to go to school because parents didn't have income for it. And it just tugged at the mom heartstrings, right? Because I was looking at my five children going, we don't struggle with that, you know? And so I said, okay you know, let's just do this. And so I sent her instructions and she went out to the squatters villages and found the women. And that's, that's how we started four women, you know, 20 years ago out of a squatters village in the Philippines. And so it's, it's kind of like purpose found me rather than, you know, me trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? It was more like, it just kind of fell in my lap and I just had to say yes and work it backwards from there. That's amazing. I'm sorry, but I see that as a God thing. <laughs> totally. Totally yeah. in agreement with that. Yeah. Because I and some of the people that I've talked to over the last few decades, they're just like, I would have deleted the email. Like I would have been like, oh, this is gonna be too hard. Or, well, no, I don't want to import. I want to make jewelry myself. Like it's amazing that you even said yes. And so yeah, I was definitely the right person. <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know how much we thought about spam at that point, but just thinking it was somebody. We didn't. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Had not been a big thing then. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, then how did you get into the other countries? Oh, so that's, that's actually, again, let's just call it a God thing. My, my birth dad likes to say pogs, which means proof of God because he's oh. an atheist. Okay. And, and so I found him. 18 years ago now. And he was very shocked that I was Christian. And he was just like, well, I don't believe in all that. And then over the course of our relationship growing and building, he's like, well, that's another pog. And I was like, what's a pog? Proof of God. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, good. But um, we, over the course of the last 20 years, have had the privilege of just interacting or learning about different needs in different countries with other organizations that have a similar mindset, but they don't necessarily do vocational training. Like in India, it was a organization called Rising Star Outreach, and they work on the medical side with leprosy afflicted individuals. And they said, you know, hey, could you come train these women because they've never been allowed to go to school. They, you know, don't have a job. They don't know how to work. Like, could you come work with them? Because we don't offer that. We just treat the medical side. And then um, Operation Underground Railroad, they do the rescuing of the women from sex trafficking. Mentors International does um, mentoring programs to help people with micro credit and micro loans to grow their business. 
but they didn't, you know, those missing niches were how do we do vocational training and microenterprise training? So it was just a good fit. So we've partnered just synergistically with some great organizations and been able to grow with that. So you send them instructions on what to do. Well, so now I do it in person. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so the beginning. So yeah, I should clarify. Um, at the beginning, it was just all over the internet, and then in two thousand five, post tsunami devastation, we were um, asked by an organization called Wave of Hope if we could go into Thailand and do what we had done in the Philippines. And I was like, sure, give me their email. And they were like, what? And I said, yeah, just give me their email and I'll send over these tutorials. And they were like, no, you have to go there in person. Like you need to work with the women. And I said, no, we've just done it this way for the last three years. And um, there was a lot of disbelief around it. And so the executive director there said, we're going to pay for you to go to the Philippines. So you can actually see if what you're even doing is what you're really doing. And, and it was great because um, that was my first international trip. But it really opened my eyes around that concept of every time I would get an email from them and they would say something like, you know, so-and-so's child is sick, so she wasn't able to come and work today. So we've been making some stuff or so-and-so's husband, um, he no longer has a job. And so it's really important for Nanette to continue to make jewelry. I, I took that very literally. And what I learned when I went in the country is, no, Nanette's husband had died. No, the children were in the hospital because of malnutrition. Like everything was 10 times worse. And I asked Lanny about it. She's she's actually still our director today. And I just said, how come you like were so light about what was going on? How come you didn't tell me like this person had a heart attack? This person has a Asthma to had an asthma attack and died because they didn't have an inhaler. I could have been doing so much more for you. And she said, no, no, you were doing so much already with asking, you know, for orders and selling this jewelry for us that we didn't want to bother you with more needs because you already were doing such a great sacrifice. And I was like, wow, because it was like, we don't want to be a burden to you. And I'm like, but you guys are the ones living in squatters villages and we can address some of these medical needs. And so after that first trip, I was actually able to partner with um, on the medical side with organizations that like ship medical things in. So we could get asthma inhalers and blood pressure cuffs and those items that are so desperately needed in these areas. And, and it just, it just allowed us to really have a much more uh, stronger presence and added benefit for the individuals rather than just the vocational training. And so, so our secret sauce is number one, we um, have the individuals that we're working with utilize the supplies from within their country. Um, we have them create products that an American consumer will buy. And then we layer the trainings with import. So we bring their products in, we sell the items for the women at events or um, keynote speaking engagements, they'll let us vend a table and um, and then 72% goes to the artisans. And so it's been a very empowering, um, I went there in 2000, it was right before COVID. So it was either 17 or 18. And so Philippines is where we started and then India and then, or sorry, then Thailand and then India and then Cambodia and then Peru 
and then Dominican Republic, and then Kenya was where we ended our last country, which was in March of 2020. And um, when I went back to Philippines in 2017, an entire generation basically had, had lapsed. Mm -hmm. And there were probably a half a dozen young adults and they knew me and I didn't recognize them. They're nicely dressed. A couple of them were holding little babies. And I'm like, remind me your name. Like, did you do the training program? Oh no, you trained my mom and I graduated college and my husband and I have a house and, oh no, you trained this woman you trained, and this lady was my mom. And because of that, I finished high school and now I'm a teacher or now I'm a nurse or I'm studying to be a CPA. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, and as I look and reflect back on each of these countries, that's what I really started to learn was I don't have to build them houses. I don't have to give them handouts because when they have long-term self-reliance, those are the things they can do themselves. And so all of our women, you know, have built their own home or, you know, have their kids go to college or whatever. And that to me is like a better manifestation of the success. Oh yeah, that's the teaching them to fish. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really great. So now you no longer ship them supplies. They get the we supplies. never did ship them supplies. Oh, okay. so our training module goes over how to find supplies in their country. We do spend quite a bit of time in that arena. Because in these countries, have you traveled or worked internationally before? I have. Okay. So it's very easy um, for deceit, corruption, mm -hmm. you oh, know, to yeah. occur. And so we spend quite a bit of time helping them to find really good, secure sources. And even we get bit in the shorts on that many times, especially like in India, particularly, we'd go secure and set up, you know, a supplier who would send gemstones down for them to work with. And then I would leave the country and then the next supply shipment, the prices would be twice, or they would get really um, low graded gemstones and things. And the women would call me and say, well, this is what they sent us. It's chalky white. It's not pretty. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So that's probably our biggest challenge is making sure that the supplies are of that good quality and that we don't get ripped off because the American person has left. And um, so we do a lot of training on that, teaching them how to negotiate better prices for themselves. And then um, we teach them the skills and jewelry making. So like this is a floater necklace that they make. Um, they do rings, earrings, bracelets, um, the necklaces. We have a couple sewing co-ops in Kenya where during COVID they made some masks and currently they're making these little wristlet pouches um, that hold like a cell phone chapstick. And then they have a strap that goes around your wrist. And they use, in India, they use the recycled wedding tents. And then in Kenya, they use the recycled Maasai warrior shukas that they wear. And so they're, they're learning, you know, well, what's a better way to get material and what's, you know, what's a more cost-effective way to produce these products. And, and I love seeing them, Hey, we have this idea. And, you know, what about this? And one, probably the first one that came out a lot of people ask me, like, do you still do all the designing and stuff? And I don't, because once they have that education, then their own creativity sparks. 
And they start to say, hey, what if we do like mother of pearl and we create this type of design? And I'm like, let's test it. Send me some samples and we'll take it to the market and see if the market supports it. And probably nine times out of 10, the market does and they love it. And so they've, they've just kind of really branched out into their own creativity, their own dignity, their own, you know, ideas and concepts. And they just flourish around, this was from me. And so one of those was, it's a necklace that we currently still carry. Um, it's called the Mahal. And Mahal in Asia means love in Tagalog. Mahal Kita is I love you very much. And so the women create this, it's just a stainless steel chain. So it's very simple, 26 inches, but it has a random heart-shaped, you know, some sort of heart-shaped charm. Sometimes it's musical notes in the shape of a heart. Sometimes it's a heart with stripes, you know, it's just a heart. Mm -hmm. And then they do the genuine pearl with Austrian crystal on it. And they sent that saying, this is the new Mahal necklace. And I was like, what's Mahal? And they're like, oh, that's love. And I said, why are you calling this love necklace? And it's like, well, because all these women in America that wear our jewelry, they show love to us and they don't know us. And so this is our way to say, we love you. Thank you so much. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, we do the story on the back of a card that it's packaged in and we call it the Mahal Kita. And it's just, you know, it's more meaningful. Oh, definitely. That's all. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> What's the future? What's your next step, next plan? Um, so we, th what I also found when I was there in 2017 was the women now that that primary focus, if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, clothing, food, shelter, and then you aspire into education and training, and then you aspire into contribution to your community, and then you aspire into self-actualization. And um, in 2017, when I was there, it became less about help me learn how to run a business and more about how can I change how I interact with my husband? How can I change the anger that's in my house? How can I change the way I think because I'm in a country that's so corrupt? And so I became a certified high performance coach because I didn't have the answers. You know, I was just like, oh, I, I know how to teach you this. I know how to teach you some business skills. I know how to teach you, um, you know, jewelry making. I know how to teach you how to source, you know, high quality gems. But wait, you want to develop yourself and grow? Oh, that's a great question. And it was perfect timing for me. Um, so I, I, that two years before I had gotten hit by a car, I'm an avid cyclist. And since that time, I've had to go through 51 surgeries. And so at that time I was about to participate in a race that's fairly famous on this side of the country. It's called Lodija and it takes place one day only. You go from Logan, Utah to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and it's 206 miles. And as I was training for the race, I um, found out I had to have the hip replacement surgery. And I was like, really? And, and I found myself just downward spiraling mentally and getting pretty negative. And I had a cyclist friend and he said, Wendy, I've got the solution for you. I was like, give it to me. Like, I need it. I need help. And he's like, go buy a new bike. I don't know if you road bike, but road bikes are like buying a used car. Like they're, you know, they could be three to $10,000. And I was like, why would I go buy a bike? Like, I'm not going to be able to ride for 12 weeks. That's going to be winter. Like 
my life is over. Like I'm done. I'm done fighting all these injuries from this person that chose to run a red light. Like I'm just done. And he's like, you're going to buy a bike. You're going to put it at the foot of your bed. And every morning when you get up after surgery, you're going to say, I'm going to ride this bike in 12 weeks, 10 weeks, eight weeks, three days, two days. And so October 21st, I got out. There was a couple inches of snow, but I rode the bike. And what I learned was not only did I rewire my own brain neurons for a positive mind state, I also realigned my own inner core with a belief system in if I'm good up here, it doesn't matter what obstacles come my way. I am equipped with everything within myself to handle it. And, and it was such amazing training from a mental perspective, but more importantly, from the perspective of I held integrity because I did ride my bike and I've learned, especially since COVID and everything, um, that's where people struggle. You know, that's, that's where that mental, um, all, all of mental illness, social anxieties, internal anxieties, all of that being on the rise and suicide ideation it stems from mismanagement of the mind, poor management of the mind. Because if we start to say, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then followed up with, and I did it. We become in alignment with our own core belief system. And when we're in alignment, our confidence grows. And as our confidence is growing, then our confidence is able to be worked on because we realize, oh, I can do that. And, and so, you know, we tackle more and more and more. And that's what occurred for me. And so I didn't stop riding a bike. I did continue to have sur surgeries because I got hit by a second car um, five years later in 2020. And um, and it was just like, now I'm just like, yep, I'm half titanium. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting my knee replaced on Monday. And I'm just like, yep, that's another surgery. Like, it's just, that's my life. 51 surgeries. And that's just what I know. And I know that if I would not have learned through the certified high performance coaching, you know, through that clarity and purpose and energy and productivity and all those values and traits that we need to gravitate towards. Yeah, it is our habits that will ground us during a time of crisis. And so I've had to really ensure that my habits are solid in what I know will work for me. That's an amazing story. <laughs> <laughs> What was your dad say pog? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a pog, but I'm even alive. But how do we help the women? We buy their jewelry? You know, shopping, you know, with pearls with purpose, that will bring humanity back into consumerism. There's no doubt about that. Um, just being mindful in general of where we choose to shop and why we're buying what we're buying. You know, sometimes there's a lot of um, over consumerism going on and there's a lot who are very unconscious. I, I can't tell you the hundreds and dozens of people who walk past our booth or go to our website and it's like, oh, it's just jewelry. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, if you knew the heart, if you knew the love, if you knew the bowl of rice that this was providing for the individual who made this piece of jewelry, not in a beautiful air conditioned factory, but on a dirt floor with a plastic patio chair with very, very low lighting with no AC 
and doing it after her kids are in bed because, you know, she's just hot and sweaty during the day and scrambling for that day-to-day existence. You would wear that jewelry going, oh, wow, you know, this is life changing. Mm -hmm. And sadly, we have a lot in society who, you know, I'll just buy this and this and this. I don't care where it's made. I don't know. I don't care if it helps somebody else. And that's a disservice to the way two thirds of our world population is actually forced to live. And it's not their fault. It's not their choice. You know, people don't dictate where they get to be born or what country they're born in. Now that I've done, you know, 67 countries, I've, I've lived in India for six months. I've been to India 18 times, Philippines, 13 times, Thailand, nine times. Like I've, been in these countries and not in Bangkok, not in, you know, the cities, but like in these remote villages and areas where real life is occurring on the daily. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, we are so privileged to be able to live here in America in this time. And we're throwing it away. You know, we're, we're escaping, we're numbing out, we're allowing our brain to be dictated by social media consumption. And I I don't know how old you are. I'm 55. And I know for me, when I wanted to learn something or to grow, or when my curiosity was peaked, I had to go to a library. I had to find an encyclopedia. I had to work to get knowledge. And nowadays it's, you know, Google, it's Bing, it's a click, you know, and, and we have the information that we are looking for that validates our thought process within two seconds. And so there's no effort, you know, there's no energy, there's no sweat equity into gaining that knowledge. And that's such a disservice when we have technology at our fingertips that can do so much good. Cause I love technology and I can't run an international nonprofit and be a mom and be caretaker for my mother who has dementia and, you know, take care of myself physically without technology. Like I've done nine years of full-time PT. Half of that is because of videos that are uploaded on my phone from my doctors so that I can do it when I travel. How amazing is that? You know, I can, I can FaceTime with my mom to remind her who I am. You know, there, there's so many advances in technology. Yet if I was an individual who just mindlessly scrolled day after day, night after night, I can guarantee you, I would have mental illness. I would have social anxieties and I would isolate and I would struggle with my connections because that's what happens. Mm -hmm. And so we, we just need to be mindful. We need to raise our consciousness around how can I contribute? I'll tell you a very amazing story. Um, my like I haven't heard some already. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Tell me another one. <laughs> okay. My youngest daughter, um, her name's Jerica. She's 24 now. And, um, this is like one of our famous keynote stories. And it's, it's just so beautiful the way it has a complete circle. Um, she was in her cousin's wedding when she was eight years old and she was a little flower girl, got a beautiful purple dress, loved it. And of course outgrew it. And running the nonprofit, I was like, Jerrica, let's donate this. No, it's my favorite dress. Don't make me give it up. And I'm like, Jerrica, look at all your dresses on the floor. There could be a little girl in the Philippines or India somewhere just like going, I wish I had a dress. Really? Yes. Like, let's donate it. Okay. 
So she did, you know, off that went in one of our containers back in 2006. And then, um, no, let's see. It was, yeah, it was 2006. Cause it was 2008. We were asked, um, to be part of a documentary on some nonprofits in the Philippines. And so my oldest daughter came as photographer and myself, her name is Mackenzie. And we went to our area, Antipolo City, Quezon, and um, Jose Panganiban, and Bulacan. And then we went over to an area I'd never been to before called Legaspi City. And we did an overnight bus. And as we got off the bus, um, this little girl was walking down the dirt road. And my oldest daughter grabbed my arm and said, Mom, that's Jerica's purple dress. And I was like, no, that shit two years ago. There's no way that's Jerica's dress. Mom, it's her dress. And so I was like, okay. So we went running down the street up to the girl and we're like, Hey, what's your name? Grace Calera. Where are you from? Oh, I live in the jungle. I have nine brothers and sisters. I'm 12. I'm the oldest. Where'd you get such a beautiful dress? Oh, two years ago, an angel from America shipped boxes to my village. My family was chosen to get items. I'd always wanted a dress to wear to church. She spins around to show us how it flares out. And we see the two missing buttons that Jerrica and I had sewn on two years earlier. And we're just falling and my oldest daughter's taking pictures and she takes us out to the jungle. We get to meet her family. She changes out of the dress. She's got the square, the um, dirt floor, the thatched roof. You know, she hangs it on this grassy wall and she shimmies up a coconut tree with a machete. Machetes down the coconut, you know, brings it down. Are you thirsty? You know, she's offering, you know, she's contri contributing. And I'm just mesmerized as this whole scene unfolds in front of my eyes. And so I come home and I'm like, Jerrica, I saw the girl that has your dress. And I'm showing her the pictures. She's like, you found my dress? That is contribution at a level most people don't get to know. We don't know what happens when we smile at the stranger or we buy coffee for the person behind us in line. We don't know the end result. Well, in that case, we do. And in that case, I started using that story as a speech of how people can contribute, whether it's a Barbie doll, a dress, a can of soup, a smile, building a school, like it could be at any level, as long as we're just willing to contribute. Cause that's what we're wired for. We're wired to contribute. We're wired for connection. You know, we're wired for creativity. We're wired for specific things. And you fast forward now to COVID and during COVID I had to pivot, you know, we almost lost our nonprofit because I was in Kenya, got quarantined in Kenya and got home the first part of April and was like, what are we going to do? How do we survive this? Because I'm usually out doing keynote speeches and I was getting email after email. Oh, our conference is canceled. Oh, we're not having you come out. Oh, we're not going to pay you because this is canceled. And I was like, we are dead in the water. And of course we were used to selling the products when people could hear the stories of the artisans and our, we do have a web presence, but that's, it's so hard to market on the web because you're trying to market humanity, you know, and the story. And so we, uh, we just sat down and got to work. I wrote the planning with purpose, which is how it's the how behind running an international nonprofit for 20 years, raising five kids, having 51 surgeries, getting hit by a car twice. It's the how. So I wrote the planner. I wrote the purple dress as an illustrated children's book. The two girls who did the illustrations lived in the Philippines. And when we reached out to see if they wanted to do the illustrations and they told us, well, we live in Philippines, we're a different time zone. We can't go to school because COVID and on our last semester, this contract 
is what enabled them to graduate from college as graphic design artists. And so this purple dress is still continuing to give. And then on top of that, Jerica is now 24. She graduated from college during COVID. Didn't, her two jobs were at the college. So she lost her jobs. She had to come home during college. Her life was completely altered. And so what does she do? She steps back in as my you know, assistant. And then she also goes and she runs the Pearl events for us. And she helps move the products of the women. And she's the star of the purple dress. So who gets asked to sign the book? Not the author, <laughs> but the star. And, and so it's just that complete circle of contribution in 2006 of a small little purple dress going into the ability for this girl in the Philippines to have her first dress and for two girls in the Philippines to graduate from college and for Jerica as a 24 year old young adult to be able to be involved in a nonprofit. Like it just doesn't end. Oh my gosh. Pog, pog. (laughs) 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 All right. So giant builders, we're giving one of each of your books away. So if people leave a comment below, we're going to um, have a drawing and we're going to give one of your books, each of your books away. So, uh, well, I am so touched. You have seen the extremes, Mm -hmm. the extremes. I mean, here in America with the, having everything and extremes in the other countries, having nothing. What do you think is, is there a difference in the gratitude or the way the people? Oh man. Yes. There's, um, I think, uh, and this, I hate to harp on technology, you know, because it's that dual sided coin, right? It does so many great things. I mean, you and I are talking because of technology Mm -hmm. and um, it has done such a disservice for our youth, you know, and especially during COVID when so many people just sunk into um, the social media side of it. Mm -hmm. I actually read a report. This was just a few weeks ago. Um, They do, Harvard does these studies, you know, on technology usage that they pull out every four years. So in 2022, which we are comparing it to 2018. In 2018, the average weekly use, and this is specific social media, okay? So not just like watching TV and talking on the phone, it's specific social media usage for kids ages 11 to 18 was 35 hours a week, or 30, 31, 31 hours a week in 2018. And in 2022, it was 70. Oh my gosh. That's 10 hours a day, 10 hours. That is a full-time job. Oh, with overtime. (laughs) Yeah. So kids are sinking themselves into social media. Number one, at a much younger age. Right. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with like the brain wiring and neurons and neurological development, but infants as they were nursed or fed a bottle, would have the mirror neuring occurring and that created connection with whoever was holding them because you watch the baby's face, you're talking to them, you're singing to them. There's just a connecting going on. Well, now what's happening? People are holding the baby and they're over here watching the phone and they're, they're watching the phone and that has created a 72% spike in autism. That's what they linked that to. And so, so that's where I'm saying like, 
technology has got to be um, utilized in in the best managing way possible. You know, use the alarms to trigger yourself and remind yourself, oh, hey, you know, let's go read books or, okay, you've been on social media for 20 minutes, like turn it off, you know, like, like use the tools within it. And, um, and so my number one requested speech is one on connection because everybody is struggling with this spikes in mental illness and suicide ideation. And they're like, help us help our youth, help us, um, raise that motivation and ambition within our rotary club or within our service organization. Like, like we can't get people to come out to the meetings ever since COVID, or we can't get people to care about projects like help us. And that that's where the planning with purpose um, it's like a journal style planning, but it's also based on um, specific questions designed by Harvard that within 30 days will rewire your brain neurons. And so it's more of a consciousness raising um, that's occurring. It's kind of like me saying, I'm going to ride my bike you know, in 10 weeks, I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to ride my bike. Me saying that every day for 12 weeks. And this journal it's got, it's, or the planner, it has seven specific questions in the morning, six in the evening, but it also has a scoring system in the lower corner. And across the top, it's got four very specific things. Who am I going to connect with? What is the word that describes me today? Meaning what is your intention for the day? What am I grateful for? And what is why my one must do? Because as women, what do we do? We make lists. Yeah. And then, and then we check one or two off and then we get to the end of the day. And then what happens in here? We get depressed because we didn't check off more things. And what do we say? You're such an um, idiot. You didn't finish yeah. it. I didn't You're, You're done. such a time waster. You're such a, you, right? We mentally degrade yeah. ourselves to the point where the next day we dread having to get up and start to tap into that list again, because it's like, you know, you're not going to finish it. Right. That's what we tell ourselves. And so our mental, our internal dialogue is what's causing those downward spirals. And, um, and so you utilize these four different quadrants. And if you just do one section, you don't even have to do the whole book. And in full disclosure, it took me the whole month of January up until February 4th before I quit beating myself up because I would only do three questions and I'd be like, oh, Wendy, you couldn't even do the whole thing. Oh, Wendy, you didn't even do the evaluation. Wendy, you didn't even write what you were grateful for today. I was constantly doing my own internal dialogue damning. And it was like, wow, this, this is like the flip. And so I had to get to that place of acceptance where it was like, it's okay that you only answered two questions this morning because then you had to do X. And I started to celebrate, hey, you know, you didn't get as tense when you were in this meeting. Hey, you were more compassionate. Hey, you didn't interrupt. Like I started to recognize and acknowledge the small little successes on the things I was doing right. And that's one thing that as a society, we've quit doing. One of my clients was really struggling with mental illness and the downward spiral. And he had a massive launch for his um, company. And we had the meeting before that. And we were mostly talking about that. And I'm like, well, what are your metrics? You know, what are you shooting for? And he tells me, and I was like, that's great. And then at our next session, I was like, how did the launch go? Oh, we like doubled the revenues and we had 400 people. We thought we'd only have like 180 and this and this and this. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. How did you celebrate? Oh, I didn't have time. So now we're moving on to this and this and this. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You've been telling me you're struggling with like 
low self-esteem and depression? Like, what did you do to acknowledge the fact that not only did you meet your metrics, you passed them, not only did you pass off on your numbers of attendees, but that you were like, just wow, like so successful. And I was like, I don't have time to do that. You need to start to take the time. And so I ended the session. I just said, I want you to just stop everything now. I want you to go home. I want you to take your wife to dinner. And I want you both to just really acknowledge each other for your role in making that launch a success. And he called me and he was crying. And he said, Wendy, you're right. Like my wife and I just connected at a level we haven't connected at in years. He said, we just validated like, oh, I saw that you did X. I saw that this occurred. Oh, I loved when I watched you talking to the customers. I love this and that. And he goes, and by the end of the night, we were both just like, I am so in love with you again. And he said, and not only that, we were able to start talking about this next thing. And it wasn't, oh, that's so much work. That's on my shoulders. It was more like, yeah. And if we did this and da, 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 da. And it was exciting. And I said, yeah, because your brain is wired to number one, be validated, but also to celebrate. And we don't, we don't celebrate. We don't celebrate as a society. And that is, I think, where these other countries, they've got it dialed in. They validate each other. They're there for each other. The reason the divorce is so low over there, we we had a woman, Padma, and this was in India. And, um, she was actually a woman. She showed up with 183 leprosy afflicted women to be trained. And we could only take 40. Mm -hmm. She wasn't doing the work. And so I dismissed her and, um, she kept coming back and she kept handing her pieces to the women next to her. She wouldn't complete the assignments. Um, she wasn't engaging. And I was just like, okay, she needs to leave. Like there's too many other people here that want this. And so the third time I said, we really need Padma to leave. And this is all through a translator because I don't speak Tamil. And the translator goes and talks to her and her friends sitting next to her is like, no, 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 you can't have Padma leave. Like she needs this more than anybody. I'm like, yeah, but she's not doing work. Well, that's because she's deaf. She can't hear you. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh. And, and so here I am in a room of 183 women. So I'm in all sorts of directions. And I had no idea that she was deaf. And she just didn't understand. And so she was relying on her friends next to her to help guide her through everything. And so, of course, we kept her on and we do biographical information on our women. And so as we were interviewing her, my assumption was she just had been deaf her whole life because she was there in a leprosy colony. And so I said, you know, do you know sign language? And she's just like, oh, no. And I said, I said, well, how hard is it then to be deaf? Oh, well, I, I was not deaf until four years ago. I said, Oh, what happened? Well, I was 11. I was in the schools in Chennai and I had to have open heart surgery and I received a scar from my throat down to my belly. And she goes, and when I went to go back to school, my scar was visible and they took me out of the school away from my family and put me in this leprosy village. And I had to leave everything I knew. And she goes, so I had to leave school. And then when I was 14, they forced me to marry this man with leprosy. So that I had a reason to be in a leprosy village besides my disfigurement. And she said, and this man was alcoholic. And so he beat me so hard that four years ago, he beat me on my side of the head and I found I could no longer hear. And I was just like, 
oh my gosh. And so I said, well, why don't you get divorced? And she's just like, oh no, because if I divorce him, I divorce my community because all of us have hard lives. And so they know my husband beats me, but I know her husband drinks and I know her husband doesn't work and they know this about this. And, and she says, so we support each other because we know our lives are hard, but we know we're there for each other. And so if I say, I do not want my husband, then what I'm really saying is I'm better than you because you're in a hard situation too, but you have to stick with it. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And we don't do that. We don't stick around in America. Mm-hmm. We're just like, no, we're, we're, we're spewing our irritants out of our oyster. And, um, and that I think is why we find it so hard to be grateful because we're used to the instant gratification. We are used to 42 characters. So don't bore me with anything else. Like if anybody makes it through this podcast for the whole time, it will be a miracle because we just don't have that attention span. And that's because the rewiring of technology. It's why, you know, Steve Jobs wouldn't let any of his kids have his own technology until they were 25 and their brains were fully formed because he knew he fires the individuals that create the apps if they do not create a dopamine drip within two and a half seconds on their app development. And so that should tell all of us, not only as parents, but just as individuals, do I really want to run the risk of my brain getting addicted? Because that's what his goal is. Mm -hmm. It's to keep us in the app. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the gratitude I think is definitely deeper over there. Oh, definitely. I don't know that any of us have friends like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Giant Builders, I want to make sure all the links are below and you've heard it. You can, you can make a difference in somebody's Mm -hmm. life by wearing a necklace or a ring. It's, it's so simple. So any closing thoughts, Wendy? Um, I guess my closing thoughts would, I I typically share a story about, about love. Um, But maybe we'll do that like on another session sometime, because my closing thoughts would be, I am very keenly aware right now, especially with holidays, especially just post COVID people are really struggling and I know it gets better. You know, I've had, I've had the personal obstacles. I've had divorce. I've had melanoma. I've had a child given 90 days to live. Like I've had the struggles. I've had the car accident, the surgeries, like all of it, it gets better. And I wish and hope and pray that individuals who are struggling will realize there is always a different perspective. There is always, you know, a chance for, um, things to change. There is the opportunity for any individual in the world to change their own mindset, change their perspective, change their circumstances, change their obstacles, and put those messes into a message that will serve others. And I firmly believe that because it happened for me and it's happened for hundreds of people you know, that I know personally. And so don't, don't give up because tough times don't last, but tough people do. And everybody's tough. Thank you so much. 
Well, Giant Builders, that's a good point to close on. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for listening. This has been The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant.